I think the statement I want you to get out of today is this, through is important. <laughs> you know, what's that old song, when you're going through hell, just keep on going, right? I think it might be a country song, but it's something like that. When you're going through hell, just keep on going. You don't want to stop in hell, do you? When you're in a trial, when you're in persecution, keep on moving. When you're in a situation or a circumstance that is bigger than you, is greater than you, just keep on moving. Even when you're in a good situation and great things are happening in your life, just keep on moving. Because when you're not moving, you're dead. And that's the thing that God, I think, wants to get us during this time and this season that we're facing in our nation. Through is important. Now, it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, right? When all this eventually passes and things are at a different place or a different level, uh, people say, oh, well, we should have done that or we could have done this. And yeah, 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 give me one, give me two, give me 10, give me 15. Anybody got 30? Everybody's got an opinion. They're like a bunch of auctioneers. But I want to talk to you about through is important because when you come through something, it builds you and prepares you for something even greater that you can handle and deal with following. Never underestimate the events in your life. Never underestimate the giant that you're facing in your land. I look at our nation today, and I, I, I don't know of any time in the last 150 years or so that our nation has ever been attacked like this, especially with COVID and the health crisis shutting businesses down, uh, attacking churches to where, you know, the enemy would love for churches not to meet, uh, but God's turning that around in the church's favor. We're actually reaching about four times more every week than we did before COVID, so when it's over, the building should be really nice and full then, amen? And, uh, you know, how, how we're dealing with this demonic racism and the enemy of racism, it's a spirit of murder how we're dealing with injustice and our justice system and how to navigate all these things for the ones that are operating correctly and the ones that need to be trained or dealt with, removed. It's just a time that it's easy to pick a side, right? And Satan's goal is to get you to pick a side. He only wants you to have one or two options. You're for or against. You know, you're for the police or against the police. You know, you're you're for wearing masks or you're against wearing a mask, right? You're for, you know, you're for staying home, bunkered down, or you're against staying home and being bunkered down. But see, what I taught you a few weeks ago was that's not God's way. God's way is the third option, right? Where in that option, you know who you are and you're not intimidated by what others think or say about you because you have your experience in God, not only a word but you have your revelation, your understanding of who God is and who you are as his child. And you're not intimidated by that. You see, it's easy to be stirred into something. You know, like for instance, you, you take someone, uh, one of our, one of our, um, oh shoot, what we call it, our core values is balance. And one of the behaviors of the word balance is to, to obey, to hear Jesus at his word, to, to, to know Jesus at his word, to live by Jesus at his word. So, uh, let's see. So, that our behavior balances every action and decision is weighed by Jesus and his word. When you're going through the times you're going through, when you're going through this season, and we don't know if it's a month or six months or a year or two. Whatever this season is nationally, the world has never been attacked globally like this in any time that we know of. To where hundreds of nations are just battling the same enemy, the same things. And it's causing the same kinds of unrest. And it's not like it's the only thing everybody's dealing with. It's just coming right on everything else you're dealing with. It's everything that's involved in your life the circumstances, the situations, and the outcomes. And as we think about this and, and this behavior that it's important for us to weigh everything through Jesus and his word, that's where the balance comes from. I think of David. Let's, let's look at that for a second. Let's go back to where Pastor Mark was with David in uh, Samuel 
1 Samuel 30. I'll start there. I'm going to read that. I'm going to talk to you a second because here's the thing. There's been an explosion, an unrest in the earth realm. It's like someone who's trained to deactivate bombs, right? Whenever that person's trained to deactivate a bomb, they might have a giddy personality, a, you know, a quiet personality. They might be boisterous or not boisterous. They might be a risk taker or not. Obviously, there's some kind of risk taker, even if they're loud or not. But they each have a unique personality. But when they're called upon, and they're, they're in the role that they have been prepared, that they've trained for, that they risked their life for to save many lives, they operate with total precision. And when they do, they, they depend on their training. They operate according to training and experience, and they're not going to do something or make a move that they, not, that they do not know works because they have the, the, the training instilled in, into them to the point that they don't even have to think about it. It's a reaction. Now, let's take that the same way with us as this explosion has happened in the atmosphere being attacked physically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, with families, relationships, ministries, all this stuff. It's amazing what's going on, but it's going to depend on how you handle the explosion. It's going to depend on how you handle the aftermath. Because I want to show you an aftermath or two that God took and turned in the favor of those who had to deal with the aftermath. Sometimes it's easy to get in a little pity party. I, I have that problem too occasionally, and, and we're in this little pity party. Oh, poor, poor old little old me, right? And uh, my situation, my circumstance. So what happens is we know by science, not even just what the Word of God says, but by science that emotions carry energy with them. So really, if someone's a very upbeat personality, emotionally high, and they're focused on good things, what happens, man? They put a lot of energy. You can feel them in the room. They're charismatic. But you know what? If they're not in a healthy place, they can bring a room down just as much as they can bring a room up. We notice what somebody looks like when they're depressed, the energy level. Or somebody that's on fire and they, got, uh, they just accomplished something great and they're going to accomplish something greater and they're excited. We, we see the energy of that, don't we? And what I want you to realize is wherever your focus goes, what your energy flows. We know in the body of Christ, what is that energy? It's the Spirit of God. It's the anointing of God. It's accessing and releasing the Word of God. It's releasing our faith, knowing and trusting in God. And as we learn to do that in each situation and under each circumstance and the weight of that, what I want you to realize is that brings maturity into your life. You know, it'd be easy for me to, uh, I talked a little bit with this on our edge call, our coaching call for some of our church leaders that I do every week, and it'd be easy for me to sit back as a pastor. I've been preaching this gospel now for over 35 years. I've been a full-time paid minister for 30 years, going on 30 years. I've, yeah, 30 years. So I'm in my 21st year of pastoring this church among doing other ministries that I do. And when all this COVID stuff broke out, everybody's got an opinion. Do we or don't we? Well, when they told me and I heard the announcement from our governor, the first thing I heard the first day that it looked like we were going to have to shut down on a Sunday, it was probably a Wednesday, I went out. The staff's like, well, we need to really, I, I got up, hit the table, and said, I'm out of here. And I whispered under my breath, it'd be a cold day in Hades, except I didn't say Hades. Before we don't have church Sunday. I mean, I was, boom. I'm like, whoo, you know, this is stupid. But that night, God dealt, God dealt with me. That morning, he convicted me. And I'm still wiggling on it. And then he had to slap me up the side of the head a couple times. And then I came back in and talked with the staff and said, well, let's talk it through. You say, well, man, that's wimpy. What, Pastor, what? I thought you were like one of those guys all in, all out. But see, when you're responsible for hundreds of families, when you're not part of a denomination, but this is a church plant, a non-for-profit, I don't own it, Stephanie doesn't own it, but when we planted it, we did not want anybody else to put their name on the line to have to be all in for it because we didn't want, if something happened to the building or something, even from the first church we bought, we didn't want other families to be impacted by our poor leadership or lack of leadership. So we just went all in. 
We put our retirement in. We put our house up. We put our cars up. It's still up. And then the bank says, oh, you're building this big building. We got all that. Let's throw another half million on it just in case you ever do make any money. So why did I say that to say this? We don't own it. This is going to be passed on to someone. I'm going to give every how many years of my life, every how many decades, and so is Stephanie, because God said build a church that you're the first generation, but the second generation is going to be such a great generation of faith because they can take off from where you were, and they're not going to have debt. They're not going to have hindrances like you. They're going to have a whole other battle to fight that's greater than just the basic needs. And that's humbling for me because I don't always want to be that guy. I want to be the second generation guy. Third generation, yeah. Why am I telling you that? I, I didn't intend on saying this, but who cares? I don't care. I'm, I'm daddy. I can say what I want. If you don't like it, pray for me. Um, the reason I'm doing that, I'm giving you an illustration of what being all in is. Be careful in your life when you are doing what you know God told you to do, and you're all in. But somebody that acts like they're all in, but their words say they're all in, but their actions don't say they're all in, be careful who you allow to influence you. You see, that's what set David apart. He was all in. You see, it'd be easy for me because, you know, it's over, pretty much over now, but, you know, what, a couple months ago, everybody was arguing online, and this pastor's doing this, and that pastor's doing that. I'm not going to judge another pastor. I'm not that much of a novice. It's sad that some probably judged me and a little bit of stuff out there, but I could really care less. I know who I am in God. I'm all in. When they put their houses and cars and future along with their dedication, their time, and their service on a dotted line and can't just walk away and do another preacher gig or start another church somewhere, but they're all in, then I want to hear what they got to say. But until then, I'm cool with what you say, but you're not really intelligent challenging what I say to my family. You see, a church is a family. And just like each one of you in here run your family, I'm not supposed to be involved in your family. I'm supposed to give you principles and help, counsel, encourage, pray for, but it's your family. You're responsible for that. I'm responsible for the family of this ministry and this house and all those viewing us out there that are part of this house. So it brings a great responsibility. So every time... I make a decision, it affects thousands, hundreds of families and thousands of people. So I don't, now I'm older and a little more mature, I don't make as quick and hasty decisions as I used to. And now, believe it or not, I depend more on God than I did when I was younger because I'm smart enough to know better. You learn a few things as you get older. So what I know is, no matter what anyone else does, and I don't know if anyone's out there saying anything negative about us or not, this is probably more in my own heart and mind that like you, when you make a family decision, you know God said, or you're going to do this, or you made a decision to tithe, or to be a member of a church, or to, to be a volunteer, to serve, you know, maybe people, how are you spending all that time? What are you doing? What? See, they don't know what it costs to be you and what God said to you. Now, I said all that to say this. We come to David at Ziglag, and Pastor Mark's been preaching on it for the last few weeks and doing a, a great job with it. And I want to go at it from a little bit different angle today. And uh, let's begin in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 30. It said, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag, and the third day that the Amicites, they invaded them, blah, 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 we know all about that. They took their families captive, they burned things, they stole things in the city, and it was buried with fire, blah, blah, blah. Verse 4, I'm not saying blah, 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 because it's not important. I'm just saying because you already know the story, probably. If not, read it. Uh, verse 4, you may not want me back. <laughs> verse 4, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and, and went, until they had no more power, wept till they had no more power to weep. So they're weeping together here, right? Then verse 5, and David's two wives, and all, and I'm just, they had been taken captive too. Verse 6, now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. 
I mean, now, look at David. Here he is, their leader, their mentor. We go back a couple chapters, right? And what's David? Uh, he's ran into the cave to hide from King Saul that tried to kill him, I think, 18 times. But he wouldn't touch God's anointed. He was smart enough, no, not to touch God's anointed. I wish people were smart enough to know that. And he, uh, about that time, other broke, indebted, and distressed families came into the cave following him. Now, all of a sudden, his gift to encourage, to build up, to lead, to grow rose up. And he's not focused on his own depression and loss. He's focused on building these people up and restoring them. And through that, it healed him as well. But they shortly come out of the cave of Adullam, and what happens? They became mighty men. And the Bible says here they're David's mighty men. They've been going on raids. They've been accumulating much wealth. I mean, if someone's going to break in and steal your family's jewels and kids and all that, it must have been very valuable, especially knowing how mighty they are. So they have went from being broke, in debt, distressed, to probably pretty wealthy if they're his mighty men, and safe, and fulfilled. And they were out on a big battle, and they won, they're coming home, and look, everything's up in smoke, their family's gone, it could be the most horrendous thing ever, their wealth's taken, and pressure like they have never faced before was on them. Hmm. Anybody feel any pressure the last couple months? Anybody? That's what I'm talking you see, when the pressure comes on you, you will find out what's in you. And as great and as mighty as these men were, and as loyal as they thought they were, and as much as they thought they loved David, and he's weeping with them, they're weeping with him, all of a sudden they turn, and it says his very own family wanted, basically those in his leadership wanted to stone him. Now, what did David have to do with it? Did he ever say, oh, I believe I have discernment. We might be attacked, but I want you to go with me anyway to fight a battle. He was blindsided by an unseen enemy just like they were. A lot of times the fight you're facing is not fair. Get over it. It's life. If it was fair, you wouldn't need faith. Well, I thought faith was when I pray and fast and intercede and Man, I'm just walking in peace and joy and happiness, and I don't got, I'm getting out of debt, and, you know, everybody likes me. No, you're hiding. You're not living in reality. You're in a very enclosed box. Because if you're, in a, if you're not in a box, a bubble, you're going to be stretched. You're going to be challenged. But here's the other side of it. At least when you come out of the box to expand and grow your faith and grow your influence for God and do more for God and do more for others, you grow. But when you stay in your box, your Baptist box, Methodist box, Catholic box, what, charismatic box, Pentecostal box, Word of Faith box, Bethel Harvest box, when you stay in your box of faith, you are not growing. If you don't have problems in your life that without God you couldn't solve them, you're not growing in faith. You were put in this world to fight. That's why Ephesians 6 is there. Why would God... No weapon formed against you can prosper. Why? He gave you these weapons, your shield of faith, right? Your, your spear, your gospel, feet shed with the gospel, your helmet of salvation. He gave you weaponry because he knew you were going to be in a fight. So Christianity in the last hundred years has been running away to hide to build a box that we call our sanctuary to protect us. Sanctuary in our home, sanctuary in our relationships and we're not challenged until like if you're my age you might know George Sanford used to say this is the big one Elizabeth I'm coming home if you don't know that then that's your I'm coming Elizabeth this is the big one usually he was lying because he was want people to feel sorry for him oh it's kind of like Christians this is the big one oh it is oh yeah I stubbed my toe it's the big one 
Oh, yeah, I don't think she likes me anymore. It's the big one. Oh, I'm late on one bill. Oh, it's the big one. I might get laid off. There's families in this church that did get laid off and have been laid off. There's families in this church that's lost loved ones this week. How big is your one? I never talked to you as daddy here. Are you a mighty man? Are you a mighty woman? This says, and he was greatly distressed in his soul because they wanted what? To stone him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. See, the difference between David and his mighty men, they were strengthened and mentored by David, but David was strengthened and mentored by God. See, you just... David, they were strengthened and mentored by David. David was strengthened and mentored by God. But the difference is he was trying to lead them to God beyond himself because he knew if they could get a revelation of God and his covenant like he had, they would be mightier than he. His goal was that they would be mightier than him. But because they got comfortable in the box, of success, the box of fame, the box of provision. The challenge came and they were not ready for it. And they were going to kill the golden goose. They were going to kill the very one that could, the only one that could lead them out was David. And they were going to take him out. It's so sad that Christians kill their own. Isn't it sad? What about grace? Then David said to Abathar, the high priest, Amalek's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. Verse 8, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, okay, so he knew what to do. He got into his prayer covering. He got alone with God, and he began to speak to God. Shall I pursue this truth? Shall I overtake him? In other words, what if God said, no, David, wait a year? If I wait a year, they're going to kill me. <laughs> Think about it. David's a man of action, isn't he? He's not passive. You don't have to stir or spur David on into a battle. He ran into it when he was a teenager. Fought Goliath. David's not afraid of war. David's not afraid of a fight. He's not even afraid of his own men. He was more afraid of, God, am I doing your will? Lord, you know what I want to do, whether they go with me or not. I'm going to go get my family. But anyway, Lord, I still got to come to you with this. Shall I pursue? And he was totally dependent on God's yes and amen. But here's the second thing. And will I overtake them? You see, the difference between David and all the other men and most of us is if God had said, wait three months, he had hated it, but he would have waited. If God had said, you're going to pursue, but you're going to be killed and they're going to overtake you, he would have pursued anyway because God said. Hmm. Shall I recover all? And God answered him, pursue for surely you shall overtake them without fail, and David, you shall recover them all. Think about this. Let's look at David for a minute. Who is this madman? David, back there in 1 Samuel 17, when he was called and all that by God, and even before chapter 17, and then I think it's chapter 17, he's already been anointed by Samuel to be king someday, to replace Saul, but he's out in the field being a shepherd boy. But once the anointing of God came on David, not only was he a beautiful, a handsome young man and a faithful, hardworking young man, but when the anointing came on him, a fresh power came on him. And he said when a bear attacked, he killed the bear. When a lion attacked, he killed it with his, with his hands, his bare hands. Just a young man killing a bear and a lion. With his own hands. What's that represent? 
in his private time, in his alone time, when he could have been COVID isolated, but not isolated, COVID isolated, but not isolated, he grew. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And even in his box, God challenged him and challenged his father's livelihood. And he had no one with him when that bear came or that lion. It'd been easier to let him keep a sheep or two and you get the heck out of there. There's no 911 to get you or no hospital to go to. But he fought. What was happening? I bet he thought, man, Nobody's going to believe me. They're going to think I'm the big. I'm going to go back and tell them anyway, but who would ever believe I killed a bear and I killed a lion with my own hands? But it served him well. So there's seasons in your life when you're alone and you've got to look for your bear and lion. You've got to look for some things in the inward sanctuary of your heart and your mind that you've got to deal with and not blame others, and not speak out against others, and not judge others. But the Bible says, judge yourself so you'll be approved in that day. So there's times in your life, and COVID, I hear people, I'm going crazy, I'm going this, I'm going that. Well, what are you doing with your time? Are you strengthening yourself? Are you encouraging yourself? Are you stretching yourself? Are you working on some things inside you, whether it's unforgiveness, Judgment, bitterness, anger, fear. I don't know. What are you working on? What's your bear? What's your line? No one can deal with it. Not your spouse, not your cats, not your dogs. Only you. Big boy, big girl, you're the only one that can deal with it. That's between you and your bear and your lion and your God. But your God is sufficient to give you supernatural strength spiritually, emotionally, and physically to take out any barrier line you have to face alone. Because remember, when you're alone, you're not alone. Hmm. Now, whenever David's dad said, hey, go take food up to your brothers on the front line, the Bible in different readings kind of insinuates that Goliath had been up there for about 40 days taunting the children of Israel. So it wasn't David's first time up there, but it might have been the first time he was up there and heard this. But when he heard come out of that, that devil's mouth, cursing God, that was it. He told him, either y'all do something or this little teenager's doing something. He ain't talking about my God like that. But see, they just thought his brother's like, shut up, baby. You just big mouth. You're going to get us all in trouble. Just shh, shh, go home to dad. And then when Saul offered a reward, David's first one in line. And Saul tried to give David his armor because Saul was the biggest man in the land and the greatest armor, heavy. He tried it on, threw that off, said, that doesn't fit. See, a lot of people are trying to carry someone else's armor. They're trying to carry someone else's prayer life. They're trying to carry someone else's convictions. They're trying to carry someone else's revelation without a revelation of their own. See, it's important for us to understand that this is a team effort, but there's also individuals that make up teams. Hmm? And so... You know the story. He goes out with a slingshot. He had three stones. He takes the one stone. He kills Goliath. He has two more because he killed two of his giant brothers later on. It's a cool story. All good. But what I want you to get out of that, David learned how to stir himself up by himself. He learned how to encourage himself. How did he do it? That was before, you know, you could have an angel show up, but it doesn't record that angel showed up to David after he was anointed. It did say there was a manifestation of God's presence that came on him. But we know through teaching and later on that that was in the old covenant, the anointing only came on God's kings, God's priests, and God's, God's, uh, God's kings, God's priests, and God's judges. But it didn't stay on him 24-7. It came on him to do mighty acts. But now we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, 
the least of you are greater than John the Baptist because you have that same mighty spirit living in you 24-7 if you'll do something with it. So he learned way back there, Mark, to stir himself up, to encourage himself in the Lord. So when you get hit, like these guys have gotten hit this week, they're in here because they're strong in God, but they need to continue to be encouraged and to stand in the gap for their family. You don't run from God, you run to God. Because there's been an explosion, and, 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 and the enemy is doing everything he can to keep us all divided and separated and on sides. But someone's got to humble themselves and say, I'm going to do what, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord thy God with all of our heart, all of our might, all of our strength. Think about this. Think about Joshua and Caleb. Wow. Let's just meditate on that. You know the story about Joshua and Caleb, don't you? You know, whenever children of Israel came out, they were two of the young right-hand guys of Moses. And here Moses had brought them all the way up. They're right on the edge of the promised land. All they got to do is cross the little Jordan River. And a little committee got together and said, hey, well, maybe Moses, we need to send some spies first. He never should have listened to them. I guess. So he picked 12. Two of them were Joshua and Caleb, and the other was the other 10. They go over, and sure enough, they see men like giants and people like giants, and they see the big blessing and harvest, but all they could see was these people could crush us easily. When they come back, the others, the 10, give the negative report, right? But Joshua and Caleb, they're like, who cares about the giants? Our God is well able to us to take care of those giants. Man, look at those fruits, those big melons, as big as our bodies. It's huge, all this fruit, this land, it's all waiting on. But yeah, there's a fortified wall. There's giants. Don't miss these two little idiots over here. Man, that's called for offense, isn't it, Paul? I didn't get my way. I was committed. I was sold out. I love God. I love pastor. I love the church. I love my cat. I love the dog. I love my neighbor every now and then. Y'all may want me to stay away another couple weeks and not come back. (laughs) But think about this. They had such an opportunity, Gonzo, to be offended because they didn't get their way. And even though it was a wrong decision, they honored it. And because they honored Moses' decision to not go in, they had to suffer the same consequences everyone else did, and they went around fighting the same ites over and over for 40 years until an entire generation died off, and now they're the older people. They stirred themselves up. They had faith. They were ready and more than able and capable. But they still obeyed God. You see, with me, when I talked about at the beginning, kind of a little setup of the church thing, believe me, there's things I want to do and say. I mean, I was on vacation saying, Lord, you think I can just call the news media together and just let everybody know what I think? Because I'd like to really tell them a few things. He's like, no, shut up. Okay. You might be in a situation where you're well able and capable but you got to zip it. You got to fall in line. Now, here's the cool thing about this. People forget that the body of Christ is reaching anywhere to four to ten times more people than it did before COVID. So the more pressure Satan puts on to kill the church, the more it grows. Do you realize the first church growth boom was in Acts chapter 8? Church was pretty big in Jerusalem, but nowhere else. But when Saul came along and persecuted the church and stoned David, I mean, Stephen, and was stoning others and imprisoning men and women that are Christians. They went out to all parts of the world, and the gospel went all over Asia and every other, every other nation of the world. And if that hadn't happened, there wouldn't have been the Philippi revival. There wouldn't have been these great revivals where 5,000 were added in a day. It came because of pressure. But if you're the one running from the heat, you're never going to get warm. If you're the one running from the pressure, the commitment, the fortitude, the faith, 
See, I evaluate people more than what they say about are they all in or not. They can do a lot, say a lot, but their actions will speak louder than the word, as the old saying goes. And you just look their life and tell, Katie Paul, if they're all in or not. Paul's had plenty of opportunities to be offended and leave this church over the last 16 years. Plenty of opportunities. But he's not. He's faithful right here on the front row in leadership. He's had all kinds of opportunities to leave. Many of you, probably every one of you, if you've been here six months or more, have had an opportunity to leave the church. But the question is, are you operating in your calling or not? Because when the pressure's there, remember, pressure, press is the root of prepare. When you're being pressed, it's preparation. You're being prepared for something greater than you're facing right now. David, when he was pressed by the barren lion, he was being prepared for Goliath. When he took care of Goliath, he's being prepared to deal with Saul. And all of that brought him up to this point, even his own mighty men. He was prepared and well able to do what God said because he had mentored himself in God and knew God and understood how to encourage himself in God to stir his faith up to meet the challenge. It's not like you're walking around with this high level of faith all the time, but when the pressure comes, you know how to stir it up and release it at a high level and pinpoint it on an illness pinpointed on a disease, you know, pinpointed on a financial crisis, pinpointed on a family issue or situation. Hmm. That's interesting. Joshua and Caleb. Well, you know their story, right? When Moses died, God called Joshua out, didn't he? Let's, let's look at that real quick. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Moses died. God called Joshua out. Joshua was concerned because he was Moses' right-hand man. He and Caleb were his right-hand man. We're here 40 years later. They still loved him and served him and, and served the people, even though they were being persecuted for things they did not do. But they were faithful. You see, a lot of times you're being faithful in a situation. It's not your, your fault or your responsibility. But what it's doing is pressing you and preparing you for something greater than anyone around you has ever faced and to conquer for God. But the question is, how do you perceive it? How do you look at it? It says in chapter 1 there, uh, God said, verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, and you and all this people to, uh, and the land, to the land which is given to them, the children of Israel. It's still, it, God never took the promise away. They just weren't prepared to get it yet. So that generation, he had it prepared for the first generation, but they died off because they weren't really to fight for the promise. Verse 3, every place that your soul of your foot shall tread upon, I, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and all that, we're going to jump over to verse 5. No man, i got to hurry, because uh, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. All God is asking us is to be strong and of good courage. He didn't say you had to be the smartest. He, he didn't say you had to be the cutest. He didn't say you had to have, have the cool lines and the cool words, the cool clothes. He didn't say you had to be wealthy or, or anything like that. What did he say? He didn't have to say you didn't have to be pseudo-spiritual. He said, be strong and of good courage. In other words, fear God more than you fear your circumstance. In a good way, not an evil way that you don't want to disappoint God. Be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law, which is the word of Moses by my servant, my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may look now, prosper wherever you go. He said, if you will observe my word, my covenant, that's why David took Goliath out. He broke the covenant of God and David stood on the covenant of God and took Goliath out. That was his super strength. 
And God said, if you'll do this, you'll prosper wherever you are, whatever situation you're in. See, Joshua and Caleb were prospering even in the wilderness for 40 years because they continued to grow. They could have got offended and just gave up or quit or went to another group or whatever or had an uprising, but they didn't. They grew. Growth is a choice. Growth. You grow because of the decisions you make. You can decide to be offended or not offended. You can decide to be happy or decide to be sad. You can decide to be prosperous or not. Remember, success is a science, but fulfillment is an art. And you're never fulfilled, even if you have great success, if you're miserable and depressed. You're only fulfilled because you understand who and what fulfills you and have the strength to go for it. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it in it day and night, that you may observe to do all according to what is written in it. Uh, for then you shall make your way prosperous and have good success. Make your way prosperous and have good success. Think about that. Then what's he say again? He reminds him, verse 9, have I not commanded you? Now listen, it's not a suggestion from God. I'm scared to death. Well, you're coming against the command of God because here's his command. I have, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. So during this time of all the unrest in our nation, justice, injustice, all the things we're dealing with, dealing with uh, businesses shutting down, poverty, sickness, death, Church being attacked, trying to keep, you know, enemy trying to keep people away from the kingdom. Are you strong? Are you growing? Are you maturing? Or are you going backwards? Where are you at right now? See, only you know how you handled your bear and your lion. It says, don't be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. What are you running for? What are you hiding from? I guess I feel kind of like a drill sergeant right now. I don't know. Maybe I got a little bit too much rest. and I'm just ready to fight. That's all I know. See, I, but the, deal, the, re, the, reason, the reason I'm ready for battle is because I've been battling. The reason I'm ready to fight is because I've been fighting. I used to box, and you had to spar. You had to work out. And if you cheated on your sparring, you were going to get your tail kicked when you got in the ring. The ring wasn't that big a deal. You were fighting every day. What's the ring? But, boy, if you weren't doing what you needed to do in the sparring time, in the practice, the preparation time, you weren't ready for the ring. So you got some sparring time in COVID and all this right now. What are you doing with it? Let me, let me close with this thought. You know, I'm kind of an action guy. Sometimes I jump into things too quick and get over my head and take on too much. I'd rather be that guy. That's my choice. Maybe it's not always right, but that's who I am. It served me well. There's times it set me back, but I've learned. I think of Daniel and his faithfulness to King Nebuchadnezzar and how God used him to ask a slave to become the mightiest man under the greatest king on the earth. He, at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he controlled everything on the planet. And what's interesting about that is with Daniel is the fact that, well, if I go there, I'll stay there. I can't go there. is the fact that how humble he was and no matter what situation he is in, he strengthened himself. He ate what he felt God told him to eat. He prayed the way God told him to pray. He did battle without anybody knowing his name. He mentored people around him. He served. He even served his enemy because that's what he was supposed to do. It's not the Burger King kingdom, you know, have it your own way. Maturity is you do it God's way how and when he says do it. 
And now all of a sudden, he's served the king well. He's interpreted his dream. He's coming. But those that hated him and that were evil had conjured up a thing that they knew he wouldn't submit to. And it said, if you didn't submit to this certain action, then you would be, the king would have to have you killed, executed. And they tricked, they didn't trick Daniel. He knew it. He was praying and fasting while it was going on. And when they pointed out to the king, it broke the king's heart because he had great confidence in him and his God. But what's interesting, what Nebuchadnezzar said, as they were putting him down in, you know the story of the lion's den? And they were dropping him down in the lion's den, and right as they're getting ready to put the big stone over it so nothing can get out until somebody wins, he said, he said, Daniel, I know your God will serve you well. Your God will bring you through this. That was his enemy that now had faith in his God. It's one thing Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, who are you earthly fathers anyway? Who are we? He said, you'll do good for your own kids and evil to others. But our heavenly father, there's no evil. He does good to everyone. He only gets good and perfect gifts. It says that the king went home and had no music, and he fasted. And he was the first one out, ran out, removed the stone, removed the stone. And he yelled, Daniel, Daniel. He said, oh, I'm fine, O king. And they drew him up out of there. And the king was so excited. And Daniel's faith had served him well. Now, think about that. I'm sure these other people thought, we got him now. He wasn't as strong, and his God's not as strong as we thought. Then when they throw him in the pit, wow, I thought he was a guy of faith. I thought he was a winner, right? Then what happens? Now he actually survived it, and they're probably thinking when he come out, well, those lions had to be sick, or somebody must have filled them up. They weren't hungry because they've never not eaten whoever was thrown in there. So that, why? Because it wasn't through. See, people don't, always, people don't always believe in you and your faith when you're entering a fight. And sometimes you come out of a fight, beat, scarred up, banged up, but you survived by the grace of God, and they still don't believe you had faith. So Daniel comes out, they don't believe. You know when they believed he had faith? When the king said, throw his accusers in, and they couldn't even get the stone over. As soon as they threw him in, the lions devoured him, and everybody went, oh, he's got faith. Sometimes you're going through not for you. You're going through for someone else. Sometimes you've got to stand a painful test, not for you, but because you're strong and mighty enough, you can stand it so they can see your God. So it's up to us to know our God. It's up to us to know his ways. Remember, the children of Israel knew God, but Moses knew God's ways. Do you know God's ways? Do you know what God's saying to you? Is he saying, or maybe he's saying, speak up. I don't know. Whatever he's saying, you better make sure you're right. Is he saying it's time for action or it's time to sit still and hear the voice of the Lord? It's not the same for everybody all the time. You've got to discern the season you're in. But here's the good thing is, no matter what other people say or think about you, you still have to do what according to the Word of God says and what God said for you. And, and if you're not certain, bring it before spiritual leadership that you trust and get their input. You know, Daniel's faith was that gift of faith we hear of in the nine gifts of the Spirit, gift of faith. Then there's gifts of miracles, signs and wonders, the gifts of healings, gifts of discerning the spirit, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, and so on. But there's more than one kind of faith. The gift of faith is a passive faith. You just kind of do what Daniel did. You walk through. God had already showed him what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen before he got in that lion's den and knew when he came out. But then there's Samson faith. Everybody likes Samson's faith, right? It's action. It's take the jawbone of the ass, kill a thousand Philistines, and give their coats and clothes out to your friends and party. 
Everybody saw Samson's strength. Everybody told stories about Samson, how mighty and how great he was. But Samson is like you and I. The devil had a scheme, and his scheme was pride and unforgiveness. And he got him with it. Thank God, God's grace, Samson came around in the last act of his life was coming back to God and doing a great thing for God and for the kingdom and showed that he honored God. But he wasted all that anointing and strength that God had given him. Who knows what exploits he could have done. Don't waste your strength. Don't waste your courage. Be ready for battle. Be ready to fight. Be ready to do what's right, even when it don't feel good. God's got you. How do I encourage myself? Just be thankful. Get up in the morning and just start thanking God and be grateful that you have another day to live. Be grateful for those that love you, those you serve, and you're a part of their life. Be grateful even for those that don't love you because they make you better and they make you more, they give you more character and strength. See, character's not necessarily just doing right or wrong. Character, when you look at the full term of that word, it means to build, to shape. It's a structure. Character is not just one action or this or that or right and wrong. Character is building. It's a structure. You know how we, the, they draw the what cartoon characters? So when you're building character, God's building his house in you. He's building his treasure in you. He's building his faith, his strength in you. And then he's going to call you to use it. But you think you're going to use it with no pressure? You're going to bring a bazooka out to kill an ant? Or you're going to bring a, a, a bazooka out to fight Godzilla? You've got to use the big weapons for stuff that's bigger than you. Stop, stop, stop focusing on the little things. Get focused on the big things. And the biggest thing you can do is be strong and courageous. The biggest thing you can do is encourage yourself. Stir yourself up. Set time aside to fast. Set time aside to pray. Set time to get in the Word. It doesn't have to be like an hour. Start with five minutes. Do something. Worship God. Start your day with God. End your day with God. Get to where you can hear His voice. And anything that keeps you from hearing his voice, give it to him and repent.